electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, boardroom diversity from a company's earliest days, upending the trap of a tiny number of black directors at startups. Two Sigma's Gabby Sulzberger. We do this not because it's like a good thing to do. We do this because this is a way of creating alpha. By having the broadest possible and, and most diverse set of experiences, all the data supports that, that you get better outcomes. And how new leaders can get started. Former Xerox CEO Ursula Burns. Connect, connect, connect. You can start with me or Gabby or find a black leader, find a Latinx leader, find someone and at least connect with them. Fed president and stock trader debating the ethics of a high profile portfolio. Some people are always going to say if anyone in any position anywhere trades stocks that it smells bad or that it looks bad. Those stories plus Tim Cook's Save the Dates, Elizabeth Holmes on trial and a stumble in the cryptoverse. It's almost as if everybody gets back, like right. I said, in September's beginning and of the year. And this is just the great repricing? It's Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today. We got the whole universe covered, basically, right, when we're here. But not starting to feel like, I don't know, starting to, you know, taxes, you're coming around, coming around. Oh, on taxes. The call of the suburbs, feeling the call of the suburbs. I just see you turning into more like me a little really well don't you think uh, are you not completely <laughs> <laughs> bitcoin prices that was wild yesterday at one point down like ten thousand um after breaking through fifty-two thousand late monday got as low as about forty-two thousand as el salvador adopted bitcoin as legal currency tumbled as much as 16 percent right now uh, i saw it this morning around forty-six thousand. the country had temporarily disabled chivo that's the government-run bitcoin wallet uh, to increase the capacity of servers and crypto adjacent stocks also fell. That's our new term, including big drops uh, from MicroStrategy and Coinbase. And Ether also fell sharply yesterday and continues uh, to slide this morning. There were protests uh, in El Salvador, a lot of young people that I, they were more protesting against not having a say in the in way how it works, in, in, in right. how it was adopted. Um, when you decide you're going to do something and then demand closes down the wallet, right. I don't know whether it was just that they weren't ready, but they seem to say that there were so many people trying to do it that they couldn't, that they couldn't do it. But They're giving $30 do, But what do you think is going on here with the price of crypto and to the extent you – or is this just, is this just uh, the trade that's taking place with all tech stocks away from tech right now? Is that what this is? You remember yesterday we talked about October, and for no reason the market all of a sudden was down 250 points yesterday. I was like – it's almost as if everybody gets back, like right. we said, in September's beginning of the year. And this is just the great repricing? I don't know. Don't you think that uh, we've got some speculation to ring out of the market eventually? Oh, oh. 
eventually 100 percent. Right. The question right. is, what's is that what's happening right now? Is that what this is? I don't is know. It's going to be a we, we just had that, they just had me reading that stocks are under pressure and we're down 52 points. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what this turns into. Definitely right. could. I mean, it's ripe. We haven't had a five, even a five percent correction in a while. So we definitely could. And we've got the the board apes. But I thought that crypto was not supposed to be correlated to the rest of it. No, no, you didn't think that. Every time it goes down with the rest of it, I say it that goes down with the rest of it. So what are you? You're devil, devil's advocating. You didn't think that. Some people thought that. Some said. people said that. Some people. Some said of the that. the evangelists, the crypto evangelists, a, would say that. Don't forget, it was a twenty eight, twenty nine thousand. Yes, life is relative. Six weeks ago, and was next thing you know, it went from twenty eight back to fifty two, fifty three, something. I mean, it's. I mean, you can't really be a board ape if things are moving that fast. Board ape? No, you can't. That's I'm going to start using the board apes instead of the pudgy penguins because right. the pudgy penguins really get excited whenever I mention them. So, um, and I don't pudgy. Pudgy is not a word I like. But this next story is fascinating. Did you is. see this? The SEC is threatening to sue Coinbase if the crypto exchange moves forward uh, with uh, plans to allow to launch a program allowing users uh, to earn interest by lending crypto assets. The SEC issued. Uh, Coinbase with a Wells notice. You've heard of those before. We've been talking about them as long as the show's been on. Uh, and as a result, Coinbase said it would delay the launch of its Lend products until at least October. Regulators have raised concerns that such products, about such products, arguing that they should comply with existing security laws. Coinbase argued that the product is not a security. Uh, reading- so you see Brian Armstrong took to Twitter. 20, you know, you know the uh, thread on Twitter? 20, right. 20 different messages to explain... So you the Coinbase can look situation. into those things and look in, and see what everyone's saying about. See, I don't want to see that. I don't, yes, you probably didn't want to look at that recently. I that, that I look at it all the time. But the okay. point is, he makes the argument that these are not securities. So the idea that they're going to have a a effectively lending it's not a lending feature really because what they're doing is they're just they're they're. They're they're guaranteeing they're going to give you something for whatever it. they need to do to get it to. Whatever regulations need to come in need to happen sooner rather than later. Either, either you know, either make res, uh, you know regulations that are going to be seen as onerous or not. One or the right. other. But you need clarity for this because it's probably not going away. I was reading the, the reason that El Salvador would want this. Pretty compelling. It is pretty compelling. You know how much remittance uh, it represents for El Salvador's GDP. I mean, money coming down here is is a lot of it, a lot right. of it. And at this point, if you're sending small amounts of money and you could do it in Bitcoin, you save a lot of money and you don't have to go to a place. Some, I read one person said, I can be here. I don't even have to get up in the morning. I can be lying in my bed and receive money from the United States right. in Bitcoin. I mean, there, are, there is a rationale for right. it. Some, some, or but some for the same reason that that person could be lying in bed receiving the money is the same reason that the government in the United States is probably worried about, you know, know your customer, anti-money laundering, all of the issues that make that, what makes it so seamless and helpful to a place like El Salvador makes it potentially scary to a regulator, I think. And you're still worried about even that small transaction might be causing flooding somewhere because of the energy usage. Oh, I don't know. We're not going to even do a climate conversation now, but we, we can do that later. Let's bring you an update right now on the talks that are going on in Washington. Congress has until the end of September to reach a deal to fund the government or risk a shutdown. 
and a wave of furloughs for federal workers yesterday. The Biden administration proposing a stopgap measure uh, that would uh, fund the government while lawmakers haggle over $1 trillion of that infrastructure bill uh, and Democrats uh, backing that $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation package. Uh, the stopgap measure would include billions in funding to help uh, recovery from Hurricane Ida. He's talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and assist in the relocation of Afghans who fled Taliban control. Meantime, congressional Democrats are weighing several new potential tax hikes as well to try to help cover some of that 3.5 trillion-dollar budget plan. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon uh, now introducing proposals on so-called mark-to-market taxes and derivatives uh, and carried interest. Currently, investors don't pay taxes uh, on gains or a claim of deduction, or they or rather they can't claim a deduction, I should say, uh, for losses until they sell a position. Wyden's proposal expected to face pushback from both Republicans and centrist Democrats. You probably saw the article, uh, uh, Manchin, saying what was it about one? He'll go for one trillion dollars, maybe one point five trillion dollars. He, so he's being more specific about. Yep. He says not three and a half, but he's not talking three and a half. See, I thought he'd, he'd go three four. You know the way these guys. No, he's depending about, on what he's goes about West, half. Depending on what goes to West Virginia, right? Typically. All right. So we're, I'm, I'm going to work on you on, uh, on on which 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 issues of the morning. Work on you, no, work on you with just the idea that you, you might like. We were talking about Weber grills. When you were out, and we once again said, "I'm not sure what Andrews got out on on the uh, on, on the, the ba- terrace on the balcony, and it's a fire hazard, and it's probably some electrical yeah. thing that, that doesn't work." For we, don't, we don't have a balcony. We we just open the window. Do you have a grill in the, in the great city of New York? We have no grills. No. So I mean, doesn't that take a lot of really good things in the summer off the table for you? Isn't that an inducement to think about? Maybe I'd like my own parking space. Maybe I'd like to have a Lynx grill to go out there with. Still a great city. I'm still a New Yorker. What do you do? Where is it? You like going out to dinner? Is that what it is? You like? But Chinese, you can't Chinese go out food. to dinner. You can't even go do. out to dinner. I do. Outside. Outdoors. Outdoors. Um, so we, something for you to think about. Maybe I'm, a summer, I'm maybe think a about summer house. Maybe a summer house. I'll, I'm going to think about it. I want to tell you about uh, some drama in the courtroom that begins today. Opening statements start today in a criminal fraud trial against Elizabeth Holmes. Seven men, five women were selected last week for the jury. And the court is now set aside four months. It's going to be a four-month trial. Meantime, CNBC has independently confirmed that Holmes is currently staying in one of the homes, homes and homes, homes on the $135 million Green Gables estate in Woodside, California, one of the wealthiest towns in Silicon Valley, Woodside, is 25 miles from the federal courthouse in San Jose, where Holmes will face that trial. It's home to some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison, Intel co-founder Gordon Moore, and finance executives Charles Schwab. I think Mr. Ellison's probably not in town. He's, he's, he's hanging out in Hawaii these days. But, uh, and Chuck could be anywhere. I mean, Chuck has an unbelievable place at Pebble, too. So, But if, you're, if you need a place to stay... During a trial, Her life is not, still pretty not, not bad. Uh, gilded, uh, still think, going okay. I think it's going okay for her. Save the date: Apple sending out invites for its annual launch event, set for Tuesday, September fourteenth. Ooh, supposed to get an implant that day, Andrew. Uh, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Up here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you, you, know, have, you have that, and Tim Cook's got a new phone. When they get rid of that, it, it takes like six months before you can even think about doing something with it. And I don't even know if I sh- you know, but that's, that's why September 14th reminded me of that. that that's, I'm sorry. The company is expected to unveil its latest iPhones. I'll let you know whether I go through with it. I might not. Okay. I might just, 
going to live a long time. I'd like to have that space. I assume so, you might just cancel that because you want to watch the launch of, yeah, you know, of the iPhone. Yeah, the launch of the iPhones. I've got my new iPhone, and it's I, I kiss it before I go to bed. I love it. You I just did. got a new iPhone? You didn't wait to get the, no, the no, next no, one? No, no, no. This was, I had a 7. Oh, okay. I had a 7 with the battery at like 40%, and I would like do two things, and it'd be, you know, at zero. So this is this has changed my life. I love it. I, won't, I have it right here. Uh, it, could, it could also introduce updates for the Apple Watch and AirPods. The launch is going to be streamed virtually uh, on Apple's website. I also, there's something about, have you, do you have a, silic, a silicone case? It feels so good. Have, do you I, know? I don't. I don't, you don't. But I know what you're talking about. You do? Yeah. It's I'll, very I'll pleasing. I'll feel it during the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be on an outtake. That's going to be on an outtake. Coming up, lack of diversity in new companies and how to address it from the inside. Former Xerox CEO Ursula Burns. If this isn't fixed, it's going to be fixed for us. We're seeing it, right? We're seeing regulatory agencies, either financial agencies or governments, starting to mandate things. I think it's a lot better for the firms, for the industry to get in front of it before being told exactly what to do and how to do it. Burns and Two Sigma's Gabby Sulzberger when Squawk Pod is back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Stand by Joe. This is Squawk Pod. One, his mic, here. Welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, Becky is off. The the three-day weekend, which is the Monday off versus the Friday off, is key because it's already Wednesday. You know how that yes. works? It's, it's, it's better to wait that first, do the five days up front. You know what yep. I'm saying? I hear what you're saying. And then the next week, not only do you get the three-day weekend, which never is long enough, right. but then you take tomorrow's Thursday, which is almost Friday. Yep. Not that we didn't, don't wish we were here seven I days. I love being here. Together seven days Together. a week. Together. We would do that and, and not even Eight ask days for, a week if possible. Eight days a week. Eight That'd days be, a week. That's, that's a good expression. Someone should write a song like that. My latest deal book column in the New York Times, taking a look at the lack of board diversity among private companies. We spent a lot of time talking about diversity among publicly traded companies. But according to some new research by the Board Diversity Action Alliance, of the 4,700 board seats at companies that were funded by the top 18 venture capital and private equity firms that have gone public over the last two decades, only 49, I'm going to say that again, 4,700 board seats, only 49 of them have been held by black directors, just 1% of those thousands of positions since 2000. Joining us right now uh, to talk about it, uh, the two people behind that research, Gabby Salzberger, one of the few female black directors in the country. She's managing director at Two Sigma, senior advisor at Center Bridge Partners. So many others serves on the boards of Eli Lilly, MasterCard, Warby Parker. Ursula Burns is here as well, former CEO of Xerox. She is also a board member at ExxonMobil, uh, Datto, Uber, and so many others. Good morning to both of you. Um, Gabby, how did, how did this research begin? What, what led you to, to start looking at this? 
Yeah, so um, Ursula and I both have been focused on these issues around diversity in boards for a number of years, actually. And um, But we became increasingly interested in, um, in private companies because they don't have the same kind of regulatory accountability. And um, I, I've been in the private equity industry for really for, for all my career. And so as we approach the work, you know, I have to say um, our... Um, my expectations, I think, were realistic, or I thought they were, um, but we were both really disheartened because, as you say, the numbers with regard to blacks on boards um, is a, are extremely low, 49, just about 1%. But that's not even the full picture because we also looked at the numbers as it relates to the C-suites. And you look at the same 843 companies that went public, you know, that were part of these um, 18 firms' portfolio, and that's about 3,800 executives, you know, not just CEOs, CFOs, general counsel, heads of HR. And of all of those companies, there were only 25 black executives. So when you put that together, the combination of uh, of, of blacks on boards and, and blacks in the C-suite, the, the leadership of these companies, these companies that have such an outsized impact to our economy, you know, it's t over $10 trillion in market cap and, and companies that are it's such important innovators and disruptors and, and also such important role models, really, for the rest of tech, for the rest of Silicon Valley. Um, so, so the impact that these companies have can't be underestimated. And, and, and as you say, it's this, the diversity or the lack thereof, both in the boards and the senior leadership, really was of significant concern to us. Hey, Ursula, what do you think is happening here? And, and, the, and one of the things that makes this, to me, so important is you talk about culture and creating cultures has to actually happen at its infancy. And so we often talk about what these publicly traded companies are doing now, but oftentimes this is happening sort of last minute, right before they go public. We now have so many, you know, NASDAQ is requiring diversity as you go public. Goldman Sachs doing the same. There are a number of private equity firms that are actually uh, trying to do this as well, but it all seems sort of at the end, not at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, Andrew, you're so right. I mean, what's happening is that you know, people do business and, and, and take risks with people that they know. So if you're starting a new company, if you're trying to raise a fund, whatever you're doing, you go to the people that you feel the most comfortable with. They may not necessarily be the most skilled or the best, but they are people that you know. And this data, these data shows exactly that. There's not a lot of effort being look, put into reaching far from your close to home. You're, you're, you're staying very close to home, people you went to college with, people you've done business with in the past, et cetera. And so I don't think that there is an active, like, let's keep these guys out. There's not an active move to that, but there is literally no affirmative move right now, or it's just starting, to get difference in. We talked about African-Americans. Latinx is as bad. If you talk about gender mixed with any of those, it's almost impossible to find. So gender, Black, Latinx, almost zero. Latinx, very, very, very small. Black, African-American, you, you see the data. And surprisingly or encouragingly, if you look at the data for women, um, after a couple of fits and starts in the earlier part of the, of the century, 
um, what we see is a pickup here, a pickup in women, just at all exclusively white women, still way behind where they have to be. But with a concerted effort, um, they, the numbers from a woman's uh, gender perspective is improving. Blacks, it's, we have to get on this. We have to, I say it all the time, we have to be affirmative in our actions if we want to change these outcomes. If we're not willing to be affirmative in our actions, we're literally going to live where we are. Gabby, but let's try to make this practical. So if you're a business leader or an entrepreneur, startup, uh, and you're watching the program today, and, and as Ursula just mentioned, I mean, part of this is an expediency issue, right? People are saying to themselves, I'm going to stay close to my circle because I know people. It's easy for me to find people that, uh, frankly, oftentimes look like each other because they hang out with each other. Um, is, there, is there a process with which can be created or is being created, and I know both of you are working on it, uh, to make that network effectively more expedient, to, 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 to effectively create that network early on? Yeah, yeah, there are, are a number of resources. And over these last months, as you can imagine, Ursula and I have had opportunity to meet with a number of the firms and talk about some of the efforts that are underway to, to, to do exactly what Ursula is describing. And, and, and by the way, we do this not because it's like a good thing to do. We do this because this is a way of creating alpha. But by, by having the broadest possible and, and most diverse set of experiences, all the data supports that, that you get better outcomes and better investment returns. So, so I think there's a lot of recognition about that. And as what Ursula has said is it's mostly been kind of a matter of, of expediency. And, and I can't, you know, I can't underscore. There are firms that, that are in this group that over the last 20 years have not had a single black on the board or in the executive suites. So there, so there is awareness that, that there is kind of a, la- a lack of pool, a lack of, you know, of access to this incredible talent that's out there, but it is going to require um, both intention and a sustained effort. And, and there are some firms that have been working on this even before this work, for sure, um, but, but that, are, that are really um, kind of quite intentional about that. And that's encouraging because this is a, a pool of firms that, um, you know, we, we know great minds, great resources, certainly, you great know, connections. If it's a, great connections. They, they, we know that they have the ability to do this. They have a playbook. They've done it quite well or re- relatively well with regard to First women. Well, I was just going to say we're starting to see this in the private equity world more out of Wall Street in New York than we are in the Valley. And my question, but, but I was going to say some of the examples I think that Gabby is referring to are Valley examples and so then the question becomes, do you see a move happening among those firms? And how and by the way, how much influence do you think that those venture capital firms really have? Because as we've seen over the years, oftentimes uh, venture capital firms are so desperate to get in on what they think of as the hot deal uh, that they feel that they can't then push the CEO or management to do things that they want them to do. So I think the second question first, they have absolute Venture firms and PE firms have, I think, outsized influence on these startup companies. By the way, in a very, and it can be used in a positive way, right? Particularly as these people are moving closer, as these firms are moving closer and closer to going public, they have the connections, the venture and and PE firms. They have the connections. They have access better than the companies to banks. They know, to lawyers. They know the processes. And they can have an influence, and they obviously have money. So for sure, they have an out, 
sized influence and if they use it well and some have done this already and and we've seen it for women if they use it well we'll see we'll see a move in the right in the right direction this access this question about okay so everybody knows it we see it the data you know it's so stark in the data that you can't there's no discussion anymore so the question is what next so how do you get out of this problem first connect 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 you can start with me or gabby or to find a black leader, find a Latinx leader, find someone and at least connect with them. There are resources out there that you, with a simple connection, the Ford Foundation, Taneo does some work here. Lots of search firms do work. Um, literally other PE and VC firms have made progress and can help. We can help to connect you if there is a desire to actually some resources here. We don't do, Gabby and I don't do search ourselves. That's not what we what we do for a living. We do great data analysis, it seems. Well, now we need to actually have some kind of a coalition of the, of the well-meaning, particularly in the Valley, in both PE and VC towards addressing this very specific problem, problem of lack of diversity. One last point, well, if this isn't fixed, it's gonna be fixed for us. We're seeing it, right? We're seeing regulatory agencies, either financial agencies or governments, starting to mandate things. You have to have X, you have to have Y. I think it's a lot better for the firms, for the industry to get in front of it before being told exactly what to do and how to do it. Ursula Burns, Gabby Salzberger, we have to leave the conversation there. It's a conversation I hope we can continue. It's important research and important work, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. Thank you. Thanks. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan made several multi-million dollar stock trades in 2020, and there's controversy. There's enough people out there who are questioning the credibility of the Fed. They're questioning the credibility of our political and elected leaders. Why give them any fodder? We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Federal Reserve uh, Bank of Dallas President Robert Kaplan was an active stock trader last year in 2020, making a multiple million dollar plus trades. CNBC's senior economics reporter Steve uh, Leisman joins us now with more on Kaplan's portfolio. Hi, Steve. Morning, Joe. Yeah, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan held 27 separate stock alternative assets and fund holdings valued at more than a million dollars, and he conducted sales and or purchases in excess of a million dollars in 22 of those holdings during 2020. That is according to the review of his latest financial disclosures. Kaplan's holdings and transactions appear to be larger and his trading more frequent than his fellow Fed bank presidents. The Dallas Fed says none of his actions violated the bank's code of ethics. In a statement to CNBC, a spokesman said all transactions were reviewed by the Dallas Fed's general counsel, who confirmed the transactions were in compliance with the bank's code of conduct. No trades were made during the Federal Reserve's blackout period during which trading activity is 
prohibited. The blackout period, when Fed officials typically cease making public statements on monetary policy and the economy, runs from the week before to two days after an FOMC meeting, typically. Kaplan amassed his fortune at Goldman Sachs, where he served as a vice chairman of of investment banking and has divested hundreds of millions of dollars of Goldman shares. Among Kaplan's holdings, more than a million dollars in stocks in Apple, Alibaba, Facebook, and Goldman, and several, uh, sorry, and Google, pardon me, and several energy companies, including Marathon and Valero. Some of these he uh, were legacy before he joined the FOMC. It's unclear how much of each stock he has as a disclosure form only says the positions are larger than a million dollars. While larger in their own right, such holdings and trades are potentially small relative to his entire portfolio. Disclosures show several FOMC members with assets valued in the millions, including Fed Chair Jay Powell and Vice Chair Richard Clarida, many of which were accrued during careers in finance. But most members' assets were in mutual funds with some private equity and alternative investments. Joe? Yeah, I guess in a perfect world, that's what you'd want. But it Sounds to me like uh, it was all within uh, the norms that uh, that he was subjected to. I would say that, you know, he certainly said the wrong things if he was trying to juice his stocks, uh, if he was long, because he's been one of the most hawkish uh, about about entering tapering. So not very good. You know what I would uh, you know what I'd like to hear? I'd like to hear that Powell's got all his money in Bitcoin. I mean, with what I'm doing, or gold, gold, gold and Bitcoin, uh, with the way I'm debasing yeah, the dollar. Yeah, that's not true, Joe. I, I'm going to look up. I, I'm kidding. I'm, no, I'm not. For you, I, but go I ahead know while he's you do not. That. I know. I know. He's, I'm, it was a point, Steve. Work with me. <laughs> Work with me. We either have to. Some people are always going to say, if anyone in any position anywhere trades stocks, that they're somehow uh, that it smells bad or that it looks bad or that they have a tin. So you are going to. So we have to decide. Whether it's okay to do that or whether it's not. If it's not, then we got to put in the rules, the, the rules in place that it has to be mutual funds, like here, for example, where where it has I, to be mutual look, funds right. or, or ETF. But for them, I don't. Do you have a problem with Kaplan? You know, he, he has hundreds of millions of dollars from God his previous life. I think I'd prefer that he has a blind trust or something else that's managed by other people. How can he? Why can't he do that? Because he could, but. Do you think he can specifically move Google or Amazon by being a Fed guy with Fed speak? Maybe. I mean, not directly, but I just... Even look, if, if, there, if it's not during... The if, I think if, the, if there's the, quiet periods... My, and, my preference would be for so people in his no position, question. people in Congress, any, so, that, so we're not having this conversation. Because no okay. there's enough people out there who are questioning the credibility of the Fed, they're questioning the credibility of our political and elected leaders. Why, why give right. them any fodder? Because this will be fodder. And, and I, you it's know, fo- we're talking about it. It's fodder right now. Whether, whether it's, new, you know what? what yeah, Andrew, I'll, I'll say one thing about this, which is what is the quality of the people and what kind of experience do you want them to have <clears throat> who sit on the on oh, the right, right, I agree with you. Right. I agree Kaplan, with you. Kaplan has distinguished Kaplan has distinguished himself in my mind as a guy who is very finely attuned and knows markets really well. Um, and, and Joe was, I think, absolutely right in pointing out. Yeah. Right. Your the intro, most Andrew said that he was a guy who was. Yeah. He, Andrew, your interest said he was a guy who called for, you know, wide open uh, FO, uh, 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 QE policy and, and, and interest rates. And he has made the turn and been out there calling for what would appear to be at direct odds with the, to the benefit of his portfolio, as Joe says, one of the most hawkish guys on the Fed right now. But then I would say, you know, put, put it in the context of us, right? You, I, I think you're a very credible and genuine uh, person who would never do anything wrong. 
But I wouldn't want anybody to, to, to question whether what you're saying is being driven by by the markets or your own you know, financial interest. That's the whole point of this. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. All three will be back tomorrow on CNBC at 6 Eastern and right in this podcast, available wherever you listen. And if you like what you hear on Squawk Pod, please leave us a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts to tell us what you think. Believe me, that helps other listeners find us too. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.